Well, hey there again. It's time for Tim to put on his hat, his coaching hat, and his whistle one more time. And I am super excited uh, with our guest today because this is really going to get into the magic of the game, I think. Uh, you know, as a football player, I, I realized for some reason in my young, mushy mind that somewhere in football there is a magic. I think perhaps it's a, why a player might create pregame rituals and superstitions that led to their last game performance in order to recreate that mystical big run or, or big throw. And I think so often we think of magic as, as a trick or somehow superstition. And uh, even the mystical, though, can often be processed down to predictable variables. And uh, maybe a, a way to best demonstrate that is, is in a, a quick story of who we'll call Johnny. And as a, a fifth grader, Johnny told me he would never, he wasn't going to play high school football. He was from a very academic family, very academic himself, and he had two left feet at the time. And he didn't play much, but he did lots afterwards. Um, and uh, today he starts on one of the regions uh, here where I live, one of their premier high school teams uh, at center. And that, my friend, in my book is magic and uh, why I have this guest that I'm going to announce in a second. And I can assure you uh, what was taught is embedded into our young football player friend's soul. And how do I know? Well, I brought it up to him once uh, a few years ago uh, when he first got into high school. And I could see his whole body change before me and, and tears well up and and. and a red flush happen across his, his skin. And, and, uh, and that's the power that we coaches possess is to really give something that lasts forever beyond just Saturday's scoreboard. And today I want to introduce you to someone who understands this kind of magic, someone who knows how to create those predictable, predictable mystical events and will show you how to create magic for your players. Uh, Joseph Rizzio uh, dropped out of college and started an architect firm as a young man, and then he got bored and decided to train dogs before he found two profound disciplines that brings him here with us today. One is neuro-linguistic programming, and the other was, is the power of myth. And he merged the two in what he calls the mytho-self process. A bit later, he actually talked Ph.D. professors into allowing him to study for his Ph.D. despite not having a bachelor's or a master's uh, degree, a testament to his persistence and persuasive powers. Uh, most importantly, amongst other sports, our guests enjoyed playing high school football in his youth like many of us, and uh, specifically Dr. Joseph Riggio is a cognitive scientist with deep expertise in transformational communication, decision-making, non-ordinary cognition. He is the architect and designer, of course, of the mytho-self process and the Soma Semantics model and an international figure in the professional NLP and hypnosis communities. Joseph is also a well-known speaker and the writer on the topics of transformational change, leadership, and elite performance, including authoring the books, The State of Perfection, Experiencing the Hero's Journey, Be Your Best, and Towards the Theory of Transpersonal Decision-Making in Human Systems. And with that, I would like you to meet Dr. Joseph Rizzio. Welcome, sir. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate that introduction. Happy to be here. I I, I love it. We've talked uh, a lot over the years on Facebook, and and uh, where we've had some great talks is is when we end up talking about football. And uh, 
it's not the typical X's and O's kind of stuff that most people talk about. We we kind of go into some other realms, which uh, probably we'll get into today. Uh, let me ask you this. Let's let's start at the beginning. Why or what is neurolinguistic programming, and why should it matter to a football coach? Well, I, I'm going to answer in a very particular way, and I'm not going to try to answer in in a blanket way what neurolinguistic programming is, because depending on the context and the individual who you ask that question of, um, you'd get different answers, and they they might all be valid. But what I would say is neurolinguistic programming is a study of the way we make sense of reality via our perceptions, the way we perceive the world visually, auditorily, kinesthetically, the way we take data in, if you will, and then how we process it. And understanding that those representations that are formed in that way are unique to the individual. And because of that, they create a response in the world. And out of that response, we get this whole series of what we call behaviors or actions. And NLP or neurolinguistic programming allows us to tap into the magic, if you will, in the process of going from what's out there in the world to the way we perceive it, the way we process it, and how that generates these responses we have so that we can alter any or all of those things and create different results in our lives. Cool. So in the context of a football coach, then I can speak more specifically towards a, a player to get the results that I want out of that particular player with, with more predictability? Is that, the, there, is that, that what definitively, we're Yeah, I mean, you could do that. Let's say that that's surely one thing you could do. I, I, again, that's why I said I'm a little hesitant to, to try to give the definitive answers because I would come at it from a, a point of view which you introduced as you were talking about it a little bit in the front end, the metaphorical or the mythological perspective, which is using the skill set that NLP offers you and understanding that we can shape the way people perceive what they're experiencing. We can generate frames of experience, which as a coach would lead someone to a massively altered perception of the way they experience the game, the way they experience themselves in the game, um, how that influences and affects them through their life, especially for somebody who's coaching younger players. Right. Interesting. Interesting. So now is that what the myth of self is about that, that you developed is, is creating those frames or, or myths that uh, uh, can serve the, the individual? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was going to talk to you a little bit about it. I wanted to talk uh, and Please. put this into the framework of this mythology thing. And for me, the greatest recent mythological story told about football was Al Pacino's Any Given Sunday. Cameron uh -huh. Diaz, Al Pacino, Jamie Foxx, Dennis Quaid, right? Yep. Famous movie in its time. And I think it's like 15 years old now. I mean, it's, it's quite old, right? Yep. But there's this story which is part of the football legend of, you know, the, the, the gridiron. And, and most of us today don't even remember what the gridiron is, but literally way back when the football field was divided into squares that right. were shaped like a grid, right? And that, that's why we call it the gridiron, you know? And these were iron men. These were gladiators. These were warriors, right? And that's part of the mythic or metaphorical story about football. And this movie is about football players as gladiators. Mm -hmm. 
and you know that great speech he gives, the inch by inch speech, you know. Um, oh yeah, I listen to that often. I love it. Right. You know, either we're going to heal as a team, or we're going to crumble inch by inch, play by play, till we're finished. We're in yeah. hell right now, gentlemen. Believe me, and we can stay here and get the shit kicked out of us, or we can fight our way back into the light. Right. Wow. <laughs> I'm getting goosebumps. Suit me up, coach. <laughs> you know, and it's it's um it's that whole thing of this is a fight and we're in it for our lives. This is this is not, you know, uh, a little thing. And mm. you know, it, again he goes on in his speech later on, he talks about like, you know, I'm still willing to fight to die for that inch because that's what living is. The six inches in front of your face, right? So do we want that to be the metaphor? Do we want that to be the myth that we pass on to these 14-year-old kids that we're coaching? Mm, brilliant. Right. And, 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 what do, and if that's not what we want, let's assume for a moment, just for argument's sake, alternatively, it's not what we want. What do we want to offer them? Good question. Good question. And, th- and that's uh, where I think the conversation about what you can do with this, this skill set ultimately becomes about. Interesting. Uh, you know, if I may just play, play a bird for a second from above and, and just point out what you just did was you told the story of a story <laughs> to make your point. And, and really, isn't that what metaphor and myth is, is really about? And, and the power of it. I mean, because I mean, like I said, you did give me goosebumps. I mean, that I, I was transported to that movie, which drug me in. And I remember as a player and, and listening to coaches and, and, and a lot of coaches have, have experienced that. And, uh, uh, and by, by you really telling the story, you, you dragged us in. And isn't that what, is way more powerful than than lecturing to to create that that narrative that we want to pass on to these kids uh, beyond just the scoreboard and uh, for the rest of their lives. More importantly, right? I would say definitively, absolutely. And you know, let's also be self-serving for a moment. As coaches, we want to coach players to be good at what they're doing and to win. Yeah. Um, and frankly, as a player, you know, and I played, as you said, in high school, I played a bit in college, um, you know, B-level ball. It wasn't, you know, uh, triple D ball. But um, the the thing was that it's a lot more fun playing on a team that's winning than a team that's losing. I mean, just very simply at the yeah. level of fun and, and the willingness to put out and give it your all. It's hard to give it your all if you're losing game after game after game. Right? So... We want our players to win, and, and I think it's really essential to acknowledge that as part of the mythic form. I, I think that's something that uh, that a lot of a lot of coaches grapple with. You know, I've I've heard well, you know, if it wasn't about winning, we wouldn't have a scoreboard, right, and all that kind of stuff. And and without a doubt, but at the same time we grapple with putting too much emphasis on winning. Uh, and we see that, uh, in, in my view, 
that emphasis is is in many ways destroying the integrity of the sport as coaches even at the high school level I'll give you an example out here in LA I know of schools paying coaches 120 plus thousand a year house car um you got to win or you're going to lose your house. <laughs> right. Right, 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 right. You know, it's, and this is at the high school level, and we have kids. Uh, I'm sure you've been out to L.A. I mean, it's it's not easy to get across uh, town. Uh, we have traffic out here. And uh, you've got kids bussing, I mean, from uh, – I, I know of a kid I coached that was bussing from over by LAX all the way down almost to the San Diego County line until he got burnt out on it. Uh right you know, in the name of a scholarship <laughs> in high yeah. school. So, uh, so how do you grab, you know, how do you, how do you create a, a, a storyline, a, a, a mythology, a narrative that, uh, that takes into account the importance of winning uh, while not abusing it? Well, I, I like to call on, if you wouldn't mind, two of my um, closest mentors who I never met. Um, <laughs> One of them is a guy named Joe Campbell, Joseph Campbell, who was a renowned mythologist and who wrote about the functions of myth and, and how myth, the stories of our lives, influence us and, and how we really live inside of these stories without recognizing that we're living inside of a story that we tell ourselves and has been told to us. Um, and, and the other mentor I'd like to bring into the conversation for a moment here is the guy who was my football mentor from afar, who was Vince Lombardi. And you know, I, I'm, I'm of that age, if you will, where Vince Lombardi was at the center of the game, and he changed the game. And now he's retired at this point that I want to speak to, and he's giving speeches, mostly, by the way, to executives and businessmen. And give me three minutes here for, for this, uh, Tim. This is what Wait. Lombardi says. He says, winning is not a sometimes thing. It's an all-the-time thing. You don't win once in a while. You don't do things right once in a while. You do them right all of the time. Winning is a habit. Unfortunately, so is losing. There's no room for second place. There's only one place in my game, and that's first place. I have finished second twice in my time at Green Bay, and I don't ever want to finish second again. There's a second place bowl game, but it's a game for losers played by losers. It is and has always been an American zeal to be the first in anything we do and to win and to win and to win. Every time a football player goes to ply his trade, he's got to play from the ground up, from the soles of his feet right up to his head. Every inch of him has to play. Some guys play with their heads. That's okay. You've got to be smart to be number one in any business. But more importantly, you've got to play with your heart, with every fiber of your body. And if you're lucky enough to find a guy with a lot of head and a lot of heart, he's never going to come off the field second. I don't say these things because I believe in the brute nature of men or that men must be brutalized to be combative. I believe in God and I believe in human decency. But I firmly believe that any man's finest hour, his greatest fulfillment to all he holds dear, is that moment when he has worked his heart out in a good cause and lies exhausted on the field of battle, victorious. That's awesome. So yeah. what, uh, what does that do for a football team do you, do you think he coached with that that belief system is is it just a good speech that to rile up the business people that he spoke to or or do you think that that was an underlying spirit of his 
success as a coach? Well, I think Lombardi was a creature of his times, right? Yeah. Um, he, he played at Fordham. He was one of the famous front, four front linemen there. And uh, he was there in 1947, okay, as a coach again. So he graduates from Fordham, um, and he uh, is there playing as a, as a team member in 1937, right? Yeah. And, and you've got you to get this guy's got, got heart and really soul. You know, he comes from a relatively poor immigrant Italian working family in Brooklyn, winds up going to Fordham, leaves, you know, Fordham in 37, graduating, and goes to uh, law school afterwards as he's working full-time for a job, and then finally has a chance to go to a coaching position, teaching and coaching at St. Cecilia's in Englewood, New Jersey. Spends eight years there, right? And, and we can go on and on about Lombardi, but he was a creature of his time. He takes a contract with the Green Bay Packers in 1959. This is, the, this is the heyday of American golden era where people really believed in, you know, God, country, family, right? Yeah. Um, and so I do think that he believed these things. You know, there's, there's a great story told by, uh, I believe his name is Ford, Greg, Greg Tucker, um, one of the tackles that played for Lombardi. And Greg Tucker, you know, is a, um, he's a bit of a character in the sense that he is um, a bit of a playboy, if you will, right? Yep. But he's a married guy, and he um, is trying to live two lives, the lives of the professional football player, you know, super sports hero, part of the Green Bay Packers dynasty, and family man. And in that process, he winds up being, you know, a bit of a cut-up, and winds up coming into practice again and again late. And he's written a book about this. And he talks about the experience under Lombardi of doing this. And Lombardi begins finding him in the pre-season pre practices, $1,500 every time he shows up late to practice. By mid-preseason, he owes the team money beyond what they're paying him. I was going to say, that's a nice chunk of change for that for that era. Right. So here he is and he basically loses it. He walks on, on the, the field and he says, you know, coach, are you out of your mind? I can't feed my kids. Are you crazy charging? And he, he, he kind of goes off and the coach says, you know, make a decision, Tucker, pay the fee, pay the fine or get off the team. It's not up for conversation. You knew the rules. You decide it not to, you know, be here on time. You decided to do what you wanted to do and not play according to the rules. Okay. So he shuts up and he goes back to practice. That night, seven o'clock at night, he says, I get a knock on the door. We're having dinner, the family. And it's coach Lombardi. And I'm like, yeah, coach, what's up? You know, cause he's, he's still annoyed. He's still angry at the coach. Absolutely. Yeah. And the coach, hands him an envelope in the envelope is $1,500. He says, go pay your fine tomorrow. Tucker goes, are you crazy? First you fine me because I'm, I'm late. And then you give me money to pay the fine. He goes, listen, when we're on the field, I'm your coach. Seven o'clock at night, I'm your friend. Go pay your fine. 
Wow. Wow, that's deep. That's good stuff. So I think this is who the guy was. And think about the impact on another human being to be able to hold both of those positions, right, unassailably. That variability in, in someone in that position is, I think, the importance of having that that variability of of behavior of wearing the hat of coach with 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 rules and then also taking that hat off and being being a human being is huge and incredibly necessary especially when dealing with high school kids or even more importantly when dealing with say little 9-year-olds and 10-year-olds who you know they're they're still they're still a big giant stamp for whoever to stamp their values on right isn't that when we're we're forming our 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 belief systems and all that good stuff and and so being a tough coach is important with with all the rules but isn't so isn't the the humanness the kindness the the soft side of of the male uh role model uh, an important factor too and if lombardi can do that then certainly uh Certainly, a youth coach can do that. That's that's a great story. Yeah, I mean, it's like, and and you think of this. So for the coach, the question I think we're we're having a conversation around here is, it was Forrest Gregg, by the way. I kept saying Tucker. Forrest Gregg. Okay. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember him. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, nine-time Pro Bowl guy, so. Yeah. Pro Bowl Hall of Famer. Um, the, The thing that's really interesting is... This is the mythology of the coach now we're talking about, right? Uh-huh. Who do you want to be for your players? So, so there's two sides here. There's the mythology we're trying to offer our players about who they are and what does it mean. And I'm going to be very uh, 1959 myself here for a moment. What does sure. it mean to be a man in the world? And how do I stand in relation to myself? and others and what is my coach offering me not by what my coach says but by who my coach is and does what comes out of my coach's mouth come from out of my coach or is it what he's saying that he thinks he's supposed to say mm-hmm. and, and i'd rather be that coach frankly tim that represents to my players the man I hope that I can be for them rather than worry if I'm saying the right things all the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And not just coach, I think in, in life, right? I mean, I'd rather, you know, I'd rather, Hey, see all my scars. I don't care. You know, at least we're, we're, we're straight. You know, I make mistakes and, my, my, I, I, I'm a father in the same way, you know, and, and I'm, I'm sure you probably uh, are too. Um, I, I would rather the kids see that uh, that I am a, a role model beyond just coach. You know, I'm more than just coach, which is a whole different kind of thing, right? And of identity, it's it's. Uh, uh, I think part of the problem with a lot of guys, I've known a lot of professional coaches. I've lo- I've known a lot of uh, volunteer coaches as well as uh, in between. And so often the identity gets totally wrapped up into just coach. And uh, 
one of I, I tell a story that I love, and I'm not going to out who it was, but I met this uh, professional coach uh, one time. And most coaches uh, at the higher levels, they have like one speed. I mean, they're 100 miles an hour, you know, <laughs> football, 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 and you know, and and they they breathe real fast, and it's almost like they're they're running. And and we're just having a sit down conversation. And boy, as soon as you switch and flip it to family, all of a sudden he slows down and right. he starts talking like a dad. And I'm like, man, this guy's evolved. You know, he's not the normal guy. He's 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 got he's got a lot of different different hats he wears, and uh, I was really impressed uh, by this uh, this fella. And uh, but you don't you don't it's too rare, I think. And I think by 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 listening to what you're talking about, that people can can really see that this isn't just how to be a better coach for kids. It's how to be a better person. Isn't that what you're really saying? Absolutely. Totally. And again, if we go back to the, to this place, I started in a way to the Pacino speech, right? He, mm-hmm. he gets these guys all fired up and he makes it about winning and losing, living and dying. Right. And, and there's this intensity, you know, the Pacino screaming days, right? <laughs> in the middle of that speech, there's a point where this kind of, let's call it human being shows up. And he says, now I can't do it for you. I'm too old. I look around and I see these young faces and I think, I mean, I made every wrong choice a middle-aged man could make. I, I pissed away all my money, believe it or not. I chased off anyone who has ever loved me. And lately I can't even stand the face I see in the mirror. You know, when you get old in life, things get taken away from you. That's, that, that's part of life. But you only learn that when you start losing stuff, you find out that life is just a game of inches. So is football. Because in either game, in life or football, the margin for error is so small. I mean, one half step too late or too early, you don't quite make it. One half second too slow or too fast, you don't quite catch it. The inches we need are everywhere around us. They're in every break of the game, every minute, every second. You know, and, and that's part of the game too. Mm. So, if this was a real coach, your coach Regio, what you have a half, you have the first half like they do in that in that movie. How do you construct that speech? Because you don't have like a prepared speech for that, right? I mean, that's that's coming from your gut. That's coming from your soul, right? That kind of sure. speech. How, how how do you produce that? What what creates that kind of speech? I mean, I'm going to get a little, you know, um, personal. Let's use that word, intimate. Okay. Right? The first thing is, I think you got to, in some way, at some level, love your players. Mm-hmm. You got to really care about these kids. You got to care about these men, depending on what level you're coaching at. And in that moment, recognize there there is a window here that is open to their future. And what happens? What they choose to do with this window, it counts. It makes a difference in their life, not just in this game. 
but they're saying something about who they are by the way they choose to deal with what just happened and how they choose to deal with how they'll step back out on that field against the odds. Because most of life, and, and I'm talking personally now, you ask how would I construct it? My experience is I, I do a lot of coaching of businessmen, a lot of coaching of entrepreneurs. I do coaching of individuals who are struggling in a life in one way or another. And I see that a lot of life, a lot of moments in life, you're going against the odds. You want to start a business, Tim. The odds are against you for succeeding. Right. You want to be the CEO of a multinational company. Well, you're one out of 60 or 100,000 people who will work in that company this year. And, and only one of those people at any given moment is the CEO. The odds are against you. And how yeah. you deal with the fact that the odds are against you determines who you will know yourself to be, win or lose. You can't always get what you want, but you can always determine how you play the game. And if you can't find that answer for yourself as the coach, if you can't dig in deep enough for who you are, you can't speak to those guys. And you have to, and this is the hard part. This is where a lot of coaches fall on their face, so to speak, instead of falling on their sword, which is what they need to do is they refuse to be vulnerable at that point. Mm. They decide to present themselves as the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-father, right? And right. instead, they need to go, hey, you know, I I'm in here and I'm suffering with you. I, I make mistakes. I'm not perfect. If I were perfect, you'd be a perfect team because I would have coached you perfectly, and we wouldn't be facing this situation. But between you and I, here we are. We got to start from where we are right now. Well, you can't be anywhere else, man. Exactly. That's right. I love that. I love it. So I, I would like to ask you, it, it seems like a lot of, on any organization, there's going to be multiple mythologies that are going on, right? Multiple metaphors that are going on throughout uh, a season, let's just say. And so there's, there's organizational, but is there also individual mythologies that are created? And then the other question I want to tag on to that is do we create one or do we leverage or tap into an ongoing uh, narrative? Wow, yes to all of that. So... <laughs> The you know the thing the first thing I would say is let me give some practical advice if I may for a second. Sure. So you come to me and you say, hey uh, Joseph, I I really like to work with you to to improve my coaching and be a better coach this year. And I'm going to go, hey Tim, you know, I'm happy to help you, and I, I'm I'll, and we'll, we can do that. But let's start from the idea that you know more about coaching and you're a better coach than I am, so I can't help you in that way. But what I might be able to guide you to is what's not in the domain of your expertise that will improve how you perform in that space. So I'm going to begin to guide you to explore your own mythic form. I'm going to say, you know, who are you? At, a, at the deepest level, 
when you show up on that field, when you're tying your cleats on to go out and help those kids, why are you doing it? What do you really want from it? Not for them. Don't give me the, the feel-good speech about you know making <laughs> these kids' lives better and all that bullshit. What right. are you right? Right. Why, why are you doing it, man? And, and we're going to really make it count. And we may go, you know, the, there's an expression that my girlfriend likes to use from the spiritual space, which is a thorn to remove a thorn. So it oh. may hurt a little bit. Right? Yep. But you'll come to face it that, that you go out there every day, as much as you might be doing it for them, you're also doing it for you. Absolutely. And it may even be at some level to fulfill something that's unfinished in your own life. And that's okay as long as you don't put that on somebody else's shoulders to do for you. And it's important to recognize too, right? That's, that's my point. That's, that's my yeah. point, right. right. And then we're going to start doing other things. We're going to say like, okay, you know, I get that on Sunday afternoon and Monday night you want to watch some games maybe. But what are you reading? What are you reading that's not about football? Have you have you opened the book of you know a great novel recently? Have you read something about the human experience or been to a movie which really asks uncomfortable questions of what it is to be human? And I'm going to demand, if you will, in the work we do together, that you become a better human being, not just a better coach. And if you're a better human being, you'll be a better coach. Have to be. So I'm asking that question to the people who might be listening to this. You know, what are you doing other than coaching to become a better coach? Are you reading those uncomfortable books about what it is to be human? Are you, you going and watching film and getting from the film what happens between people that these screenwriters and actors are presenting to us so we can experience it without having to go through it ourselves? What are you doing to learn about who you are and how you are as a human being so that tomorrow you're a little bit more than you were today. You want to be a better coach? Do that. That's beautiful. I, I completely agree. I promised you 30 to 35 minutes and you just keep giving. So I'm going to ask you one more question and then you add into it, whatever you, you like after that. Um, well, I'm going to ask you two questions. <laughs> uh, one is, um, you know, they say football is an emotional game. And is there a place in, in this talk about mythology and story, is there a place for rationality? Well, I mean, the way you ask the question is you suppose these are two different things. Exactly, and yeah. So I would say yes, but not because there's a place for emotion and reason, because emotion and reason live in the same house. You know, they're, they're not necessarily separate things. Um, you know, Lombardi says it's a thinking man's game, and I agree, you know, but it's a game of heart. And if you don't have both of those things, you don't have a head and a heart, you don't have a person. Mm -hmm. So, of course, there's a place for thinking, let's call it that, right? And, and seeing the logical, the formal aspects of the game and to really allow that to be part of what you're doing. That's you know, part of the magnificence and the excitement of the game, right? 
Yep. Um, yep. And, and if you, you know, I'm going to go somewhere else. You didn't really ask the question, but I, I just feel compelled to add this in about why I love the game of football more than any other game. There's only two sports I've ever really found myself committed to. And uh, interestingly, I think for two different reasons and, and for much the same, that's football and boxing. And um, I love football specifically because of what it's not that boxing is. Football is the ultimate commitment to being part of something that's bigger than you are. Because in football, unlike many other sport, team sports even, like basketball, for instance, a single great player cannot win the game by themselves. You give me the world's best quarterback, and you give me access to the line and get that line to agree not to protect that quarterback, and he loses the game. Mm -hmm. You know, so a player can make a difference. A single player can make a difference in the game, but only in relation to how well that player is supported by and integrated with that team. There is no other sport that I can think of that is as uniquely dependent upon the team operating together, executing that play as, you know, 11 guys all at once. That's remarkably unique. There's no other sport where that is as true as in football, as far as I'm concerned. And so you have to give yourself up to the team. Very unique. You know, so that that takes heart. It takes heart to to not be a superstar when it serves the team for you not to be the superstar. And yet your psycho I, I love that play because it is so uniquely a team sport and giving it up yourself up to the team, as you say. Yet at the same time, leadership requires individuality to lead the team beyond what they collectively might be a bunch of, you know, slugs. (laughs) So somebody's got to emerge, right? And, 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 and be a leader yet at the same time, have the ability to, uh, to still be not a, a all about me superstar kind of guy, but a superstar that, that leads everybody else to the promised land of being a superstar themselves. Well, I think that to some extent that's the definition of leadership as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. As opposed as opposed to, you know, hotshot, right? So right. I'm not looking for hotshots. I'm looking for somebody who's willing to go, what what do I need to do so these other gentlemen on the field with me can be better today than they would be if I were not here? That's leadership. I've seen when trying to create a culture, a a narrative, where I probably have made my most embarrassing mistake as a coach and a leader of of our team, is when I left a lot of, I I left a lot of open, uh, a lot of open uh, ideas of what the rules were instead of absolutely defining the rules. Um, and when 
I started to get a little bit stricter. Like I, you, you mentioned Lombardi. I, I'd imagine he had a book of rules, right? <laughs> yeah, he probably had all kinds of stuff. And the generation that I came out of, and, and I suspect just from knowing guys uh, my age, I'm, I'm 52 right now, uh, we kind of, you know, a lot of the stuff we grew up with kind of seemed syrupy. Whereas as I got older, I realized, you know, a lot of the old stuff that Lombardi talked about was gospel, man. I mean, that's, that's good stuff. But coming out of college, being young at that age, you know, you kind of look at this stuff, you know, it's, it seems syrupy. It seems like it, it's, uh, it's old, you know, it's like an old black and white movie almost. And I, I, I feel like we need to get back to that. We need to embrace rules a lot of us don't even know what rules are when i meet other coaches so my question that was a statement so let me ask a question are there rules attached to to mythology or should there be well i think mythology itself is a set of rules and they're, they're <laughs> hidden if you will they're, they're coded you know into the the narrative but all narrative is functionally a description of rule sets that are contained in the story. And, you know, often these are moralistic as well as instructional, right? So, yes, there, there are rules. And, you know, one of the conversations I have with parents, for instance, is I get, I, I want to like sometimes just slap people upside the head about the way they're raising their kids because they put these young kids, I'm talking young in this particular case, three, five years, seven year old children into situations where they're giving them so much freedom to make decisions that they create a situation of unbearable stress and tension for that child because that child's not ready or capable of making that decision. They need to be held in a container that allows them to grow at the developmental rate that they're capable of growing, and that demands that they have a set of rules placed around them until they no longer need those rules. So we're screwing up our children. And we're doing that in sports too with this whole phenomena of everybody's a winner. No, that's not the way the world works. And, and forget about the, the capitalistic model or anything else like that, you know, the Western model. Functionally, there is a, there's a thing that happens where there's X amount of anything. We don't live in an infinite universe. We live in a finite universe. And there will only be an opportunity tonight for one team to win. There's an opportunity for one person to catch that particular throw. Yeah. There's an opportunity for winners and losers to emerge and to understand on both sides of that equation, winning and losing, there's something that's gained. And by taking away the privilege of me learning from my losing, you impede me from becoming what I'm capable of being. So, yeah, we need rules, man. Wow, wow. Uh, Joseph, I really appreciate your time. You've, you've laid so much wisdom down. I, I could talk to you for another four hours, but you'd, <laughs> you'd get sick of me. Uh, <laughs> uh, listen, I, I really appreciate it. Um, where can people find you? Where, what's your, where's your website? Well, my website is very complexly named, of course, josephriggio.com. <laughs> That's uh... <laughs> 
that, that's that's really the, the central place. And I just I should probably forewarn your listeners that you know um, I am from the East Coast. I'm not a West Coast guy, and specifically from the heart of New Jersey. And sometimes my views and my language are pretty abrupt and uh, not so polished. So if you don't like that kind of thing or it would offend you, maybe you need to know that as you walk through the door, so to speak. But um, it is available. I, I, I post a lot there of, of these kinds of thoughts and my impressions and suggestions. And it's, at, again, at Joseph Riggio, J-O-S-E-P-H-R-I-G-G-I-O.com. Um, and from there, they can do all kinds of things, including – uh, find a way to contact me and send me a personal message right on the front page. There's some applications for them to be able to do that. Sign up for my Riggio's Rants. Um, it's not really a newsletter. It's more of a, a blast every once in a while when something comes in to my head that I think is worth sharing, which ain't all that much sometimes. I'm not all that frequently. I don't, I don't bombard people. And uh, if there's something that's caught somebody's attention, as you know, Tim, I'd love to chat with them. And if I can be helpful, I'm happy to do it. Well, I really appreciate it, and you were very generous in your take on all of this, and uh, surprised me. I, I the depth and different uh, angles you 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 went through in in this interview really uh, really was was delightful, and I, I appreciate it very much. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. And if it's ever useful, and you want to do it again, you just let me know. Uh, I love what you're doing out there. I love uh, you know communicating with you. We do it on occasion through the um, wonders of the Ethernets. And, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm available to you as would be useful to you and your audience, Tim. Thanks for having me here today. I really appreciate Thanks so it. Much.